Well, good morning. Uh, Pastor Steve started this series a couple of weeks ago, and you know we're trying to answer the question, you know, what does it look like to have a life that's well-led? What do I need to do uh, to know that I've lived a life uh, to the fullest? What, it, what does it mean? What is, how does it apply? What, is, what, what do we do? And, and he started out that message uh, with this statement. It's kind of stuck with me. I, I want to get it verbatim to what he said. He said, leadership implies movement, intentional movement to an intended place. Intentional movement to an intentional place. If you're not moving, you're not leading. And if you're just moving and not have an intentional place, you're still not leading. Well, not good anyway. And so we need to know where we're going, what we're doing, and why we're doing it. And so, you know, maybe the question is, is, is where are you going? Or, or maybe the better question is, is where does God want you to go? And so he spent the, the, that first message just kind of uh, looking at that and unwrapping that. And, and, and hopefully you've taken time to ask yourself that question, is where does God want me to go? And then last week, he made it pretty simple. Show up. You know, we, we, a lot of times we put too much into this, where does God want me to go? Sometimes God just says, show up. Sometimes God just says, hey, all you need to do is be here. Sometimes all you need to do is be there. Uh, and sometimes all you need to do is show up. And then sometimes when you show up, God says, now step out. And today, I want to talk about the next step in that process. Pastor Steve, when we started this, uh, talking about this series, he, he looked at me and he said, hey man, all I want from you is to take a look at your, your leadership style, uh, find something that, that has impacted you the most, and talk on that. And so the first thing that came to my mind was this. Everybody's got a story. Over and over and over in my life, God has shown me everybody's got a story. Over and over and over again, God has shown me that their story is different than my story. Over and over and over again, we might have the same end result, but we definitely have two diametrically opposed paths to get here. We all got a story. And so this morning, uh, Pastor Mike, one of my good friends, is still in the hospital, and uh, I put this shirt on just for him and uh, texted him a picture of it and said, man, I got you this morning. Uh, because, you know, a lot of times we, we look at CR and say, you know, those are the people that are real church. And as much as I agree with that, I disagree with that. Because if you're here this morning, you're as jacked up as anybody that shows up on Wednesday. It's reality. We're all jacked up. We all have stories, good, bad, and different. We all have stories, and we need to stop looking at other people and, and trying to uh, see what their story's about for a negative purpose. You know, Sunday morning, we, we show up here, and, and we hope we can be authentic enough that, that people will realize that your story's your story, and I want to be a part of that. You can look at the person next to you and say, your story's your story, and I want to be a part of your story. Because I know when we get together, and I know what we, we, when we do what God has asked us to do, I know one thing, that uh, life is relationships and everything is just detail. And so our, your story is my story, my story is your story, and that's the way God designed it. And so this morning, I just want to take a look at some different things. You know, we're all made in the image of God, and we've all been impacted by this world. You know, in the garden, we were all made in the image of God, and we were all perfect. And then we jacked it up. And you can throw stones at whoever you want to throw stones at, but you jack it up every day. How many of you made a statement this morning already, and you like, man, I shouldn't have said that? Yeah, me too, right? You know, it's, it's this constant thing. We, we have a great intention, we have poor application, and it just develops our story, and, and we, need to, we need to realize that there's a better story out there for us. We need there's a better story out there for the person sitting next to you. There's a better story for the person in front of you, behind you. There's a better story for your neighbor. We need to realize it takes all of us to write that better story. And, and, and so uh, we're all made in his image and we're all impacted by this world and all the things of this world. And the more that we can understand about somebody else's story, 
better opportunity we have to lead them to a better story. The more that we can understand about somebody else's story, the better opportunity we have to lead a better story. It's just this constant thing. Let me just ask, you know, we, we were first called Christians as a derogatory name, and somehow that stuck with us, like we took it as a badge of honor. Just read it in Scripture. You know, they, they, they first were called Christians because it was a derogatory thing, and we, we now hold it as a badge of honor. Whatever. I just want to be known as a follower of Jesus. But in order to be a follower of Jesus, what do I got to do? I have to follow Jesus. And that looks totally different a lot of times than anything we see in this world. Because if we're going to follow Jesus, we've got to do what Jesus did, right? And so have you ever stopped and just read some of the stories and not look for, not look for theological truths or all these? And those are all great, don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not knocking any of those things. Have you ever just read a story and say, why did Jesus do that? Why did Jesus heal that person? Why did Jesus have that conversation with that person? Why did, why did Jesus go there? Why did Jesus go over there? Why, why? And here's what I'm coming to a conclusion based on my walk with Jesus and, and just allowing him to speak truth into my heart. You know, is everything that Jesus did was because somebody has a story. And everything that Jesus did to listen to their story was to help them have a better story. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus, then maybe we ought to do what Jesus did and look at other people and stop doing all these other things that we say that are negative based on their skin color and based on where they live and based on what they drive and based on where they go and who they hang with and whether they got tattoos or no tattoos, whether they wear flip-flops, you leave me alone. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe we ought to put all that stuff down. You're red or blue or I don't care anymore. I just want you to have a better story. Man, if, you, if we don't start looking at this in a different light, man, we're doomed. Man, we, we need to write better stories and realize that it's going to take all of us to do this. And we need to follow him. And so in John chapter 10, we see Jesus. You know, he, 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 we look at, we got hindsight, so we, we know the story, but, you know, and Jesus knows the story, but no, nobody else knew the story. So Jesus is always having this conversation with this group of people called the Pharisees. They're a bunch of jerks. I look in the mirror every morning and think, yeah, you're a jerk too. But so he's having this conversation, and the reason he's having a conversation, they're always trying to trick him, they're always trying to trap him, they're always trying to get one over on him, they're, they're just constantly in this negative mode of, of, yeah, we know he's from God, but we don't really care, and, and so they're always doing these things, and Jesus never turns them away. And I don't think he never turns them away because he wants to impact their story. I'm not a shepherd, I'm not a farmer, don't want to be a farmer, that's a lot of hard work. I like hard work, but not that much. And, uh, but he uses a story to, to kind of tell them, hey, listen, fellas, there's a better story out there for you. And so he uses a, an example of some sheep, and you know, when the shepherds would come into town, they would have this uh, uh, temporary rental corral, and, and the shepherds would lead their sheep through one gate. There was one way in and one way out, and the shepherds would lead their sheep into that gate, and they would close the gate behind them so that the, the, the sheep were safe. The sheep were protected. There was one way in, one way out. The shepherd would come up and he would call his sheep. There could be a thousand sheep in there and his 100 sheep would come to him because they knew his voice. And they would respond to him and they would walk out that gate safe and sound. They were secure. But there were other people that would try to get into that 
that she, how many of you ever watched YouTube and, and seen this car? So I don't know where it's at. It's over in a foreign country, and, and they're driving through the, the mountains, and they come across this uh, sheep crossing the road, and, and uh, this guy pulls up, and somebody opens the back door and grabs a sheep by the leg and pulls them in the car, and they drive off. Anybody ever seen that? If you haven't seen that, you need to watch it. It's crazy. But isn't that how the thief works? And Jesus looks at the Pharisees and says, hey, the thief comes to kill and to st- steal and destroy, and they'll come over the fence. They'll come through the fence, but they won't ever enter the gate. And what he's looking at them and saying, hey, you can change your story. He looks at them in John chapter 10 and verse 10 and he says this, and he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest. And what he's looking at the Pharisees and saying, hey, you guys are a bunch of thieves. You're destroying people. You don't care about people. He's doing it the best way he can, but he's hitting them straight forward with them, looking them straight in the eyes. And he said, but there's a better way, and it's your opportunity to change your story. You can do it the right way, and you can come to the gate. You can call your sheep, which God gave you. You can have a better story. And Jesus will over and over again do that with the Pharisees. He will, he will come to them. He will talk to them. He will share with them. He will never turn them away, but he will always hold them accountable. And you can have a better story. And we look at the Pharisees, and we, pre- we predetermine uh, their destination. You're just a bunch of jerks. You're just a bunch of losers. You're the ones who crucified Jesus. You missed him. We still do that to this day. You know, we should never predetermine somebody's story. We should never look at somebody and go, you're never going to amount to anything. We should never look at somebody and say, you're, you're never getting out of this. We should never look at somebody and go, you got all the money in the world, you should be happy. We should never predetermine somebody's story based on our assumptions of their life. Because you have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. No idea whatsoever. And so I picked some stories today. They're familiar stories, but I want to look at these in a different light and just, just ask the question, why did Jesus approach this person? Why did Jesus allow that person to approach him? And just, We're just going to quickly run through these, uh, but hopefully we'll pick some stuff up. John chapter 3, we see a very prominent leader. His name is Nicodemus. We know all about him. He's a Jewish leader. He's a Pharisee. He, he's the who's who in the, in, in the, in the flock. And, and he comes to Jesus at night, and, and, which is a whole different story. But he comes to Jesus at night, and he looks at Jesus, and he, and he says these words, uh, Hey, we know you're from God. Because nobody can do what you do and teach the way that you do unless they are from God. And Jesus looks back at him and says, hey, you're pretty close. But then he hits him with some reality. You can know all of that, but you won't know all truth unless you're born again. And Nicodemus looks at him and says, what? Because he's thinking physical and Jesus is talking spiritual. Nicodemus is, is, is in a place where his story is, I know the law, I know all these things, and, and based on his circumstances and what he just came and told Jesus, Jesus basically says, hey, you're really close, so let me, let me take you one step further. Unless you really are born again, unless you're willing to open up and receive what my Father has for you, you'll, you'll never understand all that there is before you. And you'll never change your story, but I'm here to help you do that. They have this whole conversation, and obviously Nicodemus doesn't get it. Uh, and and uh, John comes on later in John chapter uh, 3 and verse 21, and, and I think John's going to kind of clarify uh, some of the light and the darkness. There's all kinds of things about this, but I just want to look at the Scripture and see what it says. And John uh, writes, but whoever lives by truth comes into the light. And, and I'm wondering if he's looking at Nicodemus and is saying, hey, you wouldn't even come to Jesus during the daytime. You waited till it was night. 
There's all kinds of things that could be said about that, but you waited till it's night. And when we live in the darkness, we'll never have a different life. And when you will come to the truth and accept it for what it is, you will see the light for the first time. You ever been in a dark environment? You ever been uh, in a place where it's just completely blacked out and you've been in there a while and your eyes have kind of adjusted so you think you can see stuff and then all of a sudden you walk outside and you can't see a thing? I think that's where Nicodemus was. You see, when you first walk out into the light, you got pain. Literally, you got physical pain in your, in, your, in your face, in your eyes, and you just can't stand the light. And sometimes when we're faced with the truth amongst our story, we are not ready to receive it yet because it's such a painful thing. It causes so much distraught in our life. But it's the light that will set us free. I just wonder if John isn't trying to make that connection in John chapter 3 and verse 21. And so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. You know, sometimes we just need to make it plain for people so that they can see the love of God. So we end up uh, chapter 4, and I'm not uh, going to, there's so much more in chapter 3, but we move to chapter 4. I, I don't know that we have a context for this, so if you're from Hampton or Newport News, I'm going to apologize up front. I'm sorry. But this is, this is what God brought to my mind. I want to try to uh, get this across. You know, it, let's just say that we are in an environment where the people that live in Hampton or Newport News are worthless dogs of the world. That they don't, even, they don't even deserve to breathe. They're just wasting resources up there. If we could, we'd just nuke that part of the world and be finished with them because they are worthless. That's the Samaritans. If we got to go to Williamsburg, here's how we're going to go because the people in Newport News and Hampton are just worthless. We are going to get on the eastern shore. We are going to drive six and a half, seven hours around uh, the peninsula, around the, the uh, middle peninsula, just so we don't have to get anywhere near these people from Hampton or Newport News. And we're going to drive around and we're going to come through Richmond and we're going to come back down to Williamsburg because that's our destination. And if we don't want to do that, we're going to go all the way uh, over to Emporia and we're going to go all the way up through Chesterfield and through uh, Richmond, and we're going to come back down. And we don't want to get anywhere near Hampton or Newport News because that might rub, on us, rub off on us, and we might be filthy after that. That's the Samaritans. Well, the next morning after meeting with Nicodemus that night, Jesus gets up, and he looks at his disciples, and he says these words, and I want to know what's going through their mind and what they're mumbling about all the way there. Hey, fellas, today we've got to go through Samaria. Really? Can you imagine if you were raised that this group of people are horrible, horrific, terrible? Or this group of people, is it worth your time? Or this group of people will never understand you? Or this group, you know, we all can understand that, can't we? Because we were all raised in this jacked up world. And we were all, I don't, we'll get to this in a minute, but you might say you aren't. But you got people you think about and you immediately think, I can't touch them people. And Jesus looked at him and said, hey, fellas, we're going through Samaria today, whether you like it or not, because i got an appointment there. And we got to ask the question, why is Jesus going to do this? Well, they figure it out when he gets there. Jesus gets to the, to the well, and he looks at the guys and says, hey, fellas, get out of here. Go find, go find some food. You know, sometimes you've got to separate yourself from negative people so that you can have a conversation with somebody God wants you to have a conversation with. That when they're in, that, when they're in your midst, you're not going to be able to have the conversation that you need to have. And sometimes that person that you're going to have that conversation with just needs that one-on-one -on -one time. 
So Jesus dismisses them. This lady walks up in the middle of the day about around noontime, and she's walking up to the well. She sees Jesus. Jesus looks at her and says, hey, can you give me something to drink? She is shocked. Number one, you're a man. You don't talk to me. We're alone. That's not, that's not how this works. Number two, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You don't even like me. You see, she predetermined his story before she ever got there. And so do we. Jesus looked at her and said, if you knew who I was, you wouldn't just ask me for a drink. You'd ask me for the, the, the living water. And we pick this up. I want you to, to watch what happens. In John chapter 4, verse 15 and 19, a woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't go get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And we look at that and we go, yeah, they had to go out and draw water. I want you to stop and think for a minute. No woman ever went to the well alone. No woman ever went to the well at noon. No woman would ever want to be out there alone. And where is she at? You see, Jesus looked up there and he told his disciples, there's a lady that, needs to, that I need to hear her story. So we look over this and we don't even think about the loneliness in there. We don't even think about any of that. We just, we just, we just look at this and go, okay, she went to get, draw some water. And then Jesus looks at her. Now, it, it, this is an amazing thing. Jesus looks at her and says, hey, go get your husband. Nah, I don't have a husband. Jesus is like, yeah, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five. And the one you got now ain't your husband. You're just living with him. You're just shacking up. Now I want you to look at something. The very next verse, verse 19, she looks at Jesus and she says these words, Sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Now I don't know how Jesus spoke to her. You know, in my mind I'm sarcastic, so Jesus is talking to her sarcastically. I doubt that's the case because normally sarcasm shuts down the conversation. Ask me, I'll tell you. Very good at it. But here's what I know. However Jesus spoke to her, it touched her heart. And she knew he cared about her story. He didn't predetermine her destination. He just simply said, hey, you got a story worth hearing, and i got a story worth improving yours. And if we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, would have that in our heart, in our mind, that they have a story worth hearing, and we have a story worth improving theirs, Man, what a difference it would make in this world. Now, I want you to watch what happens. Just then, verse 27, the disciples are starting to come back, and we'll pick that up in a minute. But as the disciples are returning, uh, it says in verse 28, uh, she leaves her water jar. Now, she went there for, for water. She went there for a purpose, for something to live with. She went there for a necessity of life, and she leaves that necessity there because she's got something greater than that necessity of life. And she leaves there, and she goes back to town. Now, you've got to understand, this is a lonely woman. Nobody wants to talk to her. Nobody wants to associate with her. Nobody in that town really has anything to do with her. She's already a Samaritan. They're the dogs of the world anyway. And she goes back to that town, and she has a story to tell. Listen to what she says. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? You see, when we allow Jesus to touch people's lives and change their story, they immediately want to tell other people about it. When your life has been changed and you know that Jesus cares about you, you know that the followers of Jesus care about you, and you know that, that they care enough to help you change your story, the first thing you want to do is invite other people to come and be a part of that. And she goes back and she changes their story. 
Let me go back to verse 27. The disciples come up to Jesus, and they don't say anything. He's, he's sitting here with this Samaritan woman, uh, and there's all kinds of things that come about that. And it says in, in verse 27, they never say a word to him, but they're thinking, what do you want? Why are you with Jesus? Who are you, lady? You shouldn't be here. And then they, they think this about Jesus. Why are you even talking to her? You see, the disciples already predetermined her story. They already have her destination in mind. They already know that she's worthless. They already know that this shouldn't happen. They already know everything about that, and so many times we do too. We should never predetermine somebody's story. Now, I didn't put this in here, but you read the last part of that, that verse, and we, don't miss, we miss this out of the context. The, the Samaritans wore white turbans on their head. That was just their culture. They would have these white turbans, and, and, and this lady goes down to town, and she tells all these people, hey, the, let me tell you, the Messiah's up there. You guys need to come and see for yourself. And so as Jesus talking to the disciples, he says these words to them in, in my paraphrase. Hey, the, the harvest is near. Look out unto the fields, for the fields are white. And I believe that the possibility is, is as these men are coming out of town with these white turbans on their head, all you see is the white turbans walking over the tops of the, the crops in the field, and Jesus is looking out and he's saying, hey, look, there's a whole bunch of people out there. You, you predetermined their stories. There's a whole bunch of people out there that you need to invest and hear their story and realize that that's the harvest that you're after because they need a new story. I want you to think about this. How many people has God brought into your life? And he said, that person needs a new story. And you need to stop predetermining where they're at or what they've been through or where they're going. Just share their story. When we care about their story, it just might change our perspectives and theirs too. When we care about their story, story it might just change their perspective and ours too. We might stop predetermining things. I want you to think about the, this, the, the first miracle that Jesus ever performed was at a wedding. Uh, I like, I like the fact that Jesus likes to party, but that's a different story. <laughs> so he's at this wedding, and, and we don't get this. I mean, we do, but we don't. You know, like Everybody wants to spend $20,000, $30,000, $40,000 on a two-hour event. The Jews had it right. Hey, if you're going to spend that kind of money, let's make it a week. Right? Right? I mean, a wedding wasn't a day back then. A wedding was several days, up to, up to seven days. And so the first day of this wedding, this, this bride and groom, they run out of wine. Well, a lot of drunkards in that place, man. And, and Mary comes to Jesus and says, hey, they're out of wine. He, he looks at her and goes, what's this, what's this to do with me? And I think, I, I really want to ask him about that whole phrase, because I don't think, I think we miss a lot of it. But I think what Jesus was saying was, hey, I'm, I care about their story. I mean, with all our social media and stuff, and you say something wrong today, what happens to you? Man, you are canceled, whatever that means. But now think about this. You live in a, in a culture where society is everything, like, like family, community is everything. And you run out of wine the first day of your wedding. What do you think your name is in that town? You, can you imagine the embarrassment? You know, Mary on that video wouldn't come back to the group because she was embarrassed about her son, grandson. So the group went to her, which I think is awesome. Jesus is at a wedding, and he knows the outcome of this is not going to be good. So he cares. You can say it's just a wedding, but he cares. And so he looks at the servants and says, go, go get some water, bring it back up here. And he turns the water into wine, and he changes their story. You know, I, I'd love to have a conversation with them when I get to heaven. What all changed in your story because of what Jesus did for you that day? 
I bet it's pretty amazing. You know, when we're curious about somebody else's story, we might just learn something. Then we go from there, and, and uh, Luke chapter 8, we, we again see these bookends. We had Nicodemus and this unnamed woman. In Luke chapter 8, we see Jairus. He's another prominent Jewish leader. His daughter is sick. Uh, he comes to Jesus. It's amazing. Jesus is your enemy until you need him. You ever think about that? I don't have any need to Je- for Jesus on a daily basis unless things don't go right. Hey, I'm not throwing stones at you. I've been there to do it myself. Still do it today. I get caught up in these things too. But Jairus comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, hey, I'll come, I'll come heal your daughter. So they're, they're leaving. If you can imagine in those days that Jesus would go out and he'd do all these healings, and people would hear about him. There'd just be these massive crowds around him. And any, anywhere he went in town, people, if they knew he was there, there was just all these crowds. And as he's walking uh, with Jairus to, to heal his daughter, uh, Jesus just stops dead in his tracks. And he says, hey, somebody touch me, and I'm not moving until you tell me who it was. Here's a lady. Now, I want you to look at it from her perspective. Uh, we, we can apply this today. <clears throat> Let's just say somebody in this room right now has COVID. What are you guys going to do? Get out! You unclean heathen. Do not come back, right? That was that day. When somebody had a sickness, as long as this lady had a sickness, she was kicked out of town. She had to live out by herself. She, could not, she was not allowed in town at all. She had no hope. She had spent everything she had. She'd had this for a long time. They were, there was nothing that she could do. There was nothing that anybody could do. And if she was caught in town around a bunch of people, they would have killed her. And it would have been the law. Now you look at it from her perspective. This lady heard that Jesus was in town. Jesus had the healing power, and she believed so much that she didn't even need to talk to him. If I can just touch anything he touches, if I can touch anything that he's got on, I'll be healed. The moment she touched him, she was healed. And Jesus said, wait, not moving. There's somebody here that's got a story worth hearing. And so he didn't move. Pick it up in in Luke chapter 8, verse 45. Jesus says, who touched me? (laughs) And when they all denied it, Peter stuck his foot in his mouth. You know, familiar? Peter says, Master, the people are crowding and pressing around you. In other words, everybody's touching you, Jesus. What are you talking about? Peter doesn't understand. And Peter was notorious for this. And we are too. I'm not picking on him. I'm just, Peter's got a story. He's got a story worth t- telling. got a story worth changing. And, and, and Jesus is just like, I'm not moving. You guys can deny all you want, but we're going to stand right here and that little girl's going to die. We're going to stay right here. Whoever touched me fesses up. And this lady, you've got to imagine the fear in her. She walks out of that crowd and she says, I touched you. And I was healed. And this is my story. And Jesus looked at her and he said these words. You're not just healed, you've been made whole. And there is a big difference in those two things. She was healed physically by touching him. She was made whole by allowing him to change her life. And folks, when we will do that in our life and allow people to see Jesus through us, he will make them whole, and we get to be a part of that. Just then, a servant from Jairus' house came, and they looked at uh, Jairus and said, hey, stop bothering the master, she's dead. And I'm sure his heart sank. I'm sure that he, he, he just was devastated that Jesus would stop for this unnamed woman with this stupid issue of blood. 
stop and just not even go to his house. Jesus looked at him and said, your daughter's not dead. Her story's not over. You can't write people off. You have no idea what's in their story. Jesus does. God does. But we need to stop writing people off because they keep making stupid decisions. You did too. He never gave up on you. We can help change their story. Two more stories. Well, three if I got time. Two more stories. When we care enough about their story, we help them live it out and tell a better story. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew uh, I, earlier, I was trying to figure out the, the closest thing I could come to a tax collector in these days. Somebody who's always in your pockets, always uh, robbing you blind, and always, and then I thought, it's a politician. And then, uh, so, if you're a politician, I'm sorry, but your, your profession is terrible. Um, it is. It is. I mean, all of us think it. It's dividing us. It's doing all these things. You know, if, if they were doing what they were supposed to be doing, they'd be, they'd be pulling us together. But they're not. They're just dividing us, and, and, and they're just no different than tax collectors. I don't want to hang out with any politicians. I shouldn't say that because I don't want to judge their story. But it's reality. Sorry. But I will hang out with them. But I'll help them change your story. So Matthew is this outcast, this, this traitor. He's a Jew, but the Jews don't even want to hang with him. The Romans don't want to hang with him because he's Jew, and so he's this outcast. He's, he's constantly robbing people just so he can live. And, and you can make all kinds of stuff about this. Uh, but Jesus comes along one day, and he looks at Matthew. And I'm sure nobody else looked at Matthew with, with anything other than disdain. But he looks at Matthew, and he says, hey, come, come hang out with me. I'm sure Matthew thought, what? Why would you want me to hang out with you? And I, we don't have the whole conversation, but we know that there was something said, there was something done, there was more than just follow me, there was something there, and, G, and Matthew said, you know what? If he has that much love for me, I want to throw a party for him so I can invite all my friends to him. And you've got to think, well, who, who, are, who are his friends? Well, there's nobody anybody wants to hang out with. There are other tax collectors. And they're sinners, and they're prostitutes, and they're drug addicts, and they're alcoholics. There's all these people that nobody wants to hang out with. And Matthew invites them in, and he throws this big party for Jesus so that he can touch their lives too. Man, if we would just get that one. If we would just throw parties for Jesus and invite everybody we know to come and hang out with him so he can touch their life, man, what a difference it would make. But here's, here's the reality. Matthew chapter 9, verse 11 to 13, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples. It's amazing, they don't even go to Jesus, they ask his disciples. Why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? Now, I love this. They ain't good whispers. <laughs> Jesus says, I heard you. <laughs> it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Read that again. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Man, I can say so much. But go and learn what this says, what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call the righteous, but... Uh, not the, I have not called, come to call the righteous, but the sinners. You know, in, in the context of what we're talking about today, here, here's the reality. If you don't think you need a better story, you're never going to hear Jesus. And there are so many people in churches all across America today that don't think they need a better story. And I'm sorry to say they're not hearing Jesus. And that's what he was telling the Pharisees. You, you don't think that I can do anything in your life, and, and there's nothing I can do, and so I'm, not gonna, I'm, gonna st I'm still going to invest. He never stopped investing, but the reality is, no matter what I say, you're never going to hear me because you don't think you need a better story. But the people who need a better story, they hear everything I say. Those people who have, are hopeless, they, they don't see anything brighter tomorrow. They don't, they, there's nothing that can change in their life. Those are the people that need me, and I'm here for them, and I'm going to invest in their life, and I'm going to change their story because they can hear me, and they know my voice. And then there's this uh, little guy. Anybody know who Peter Dinklage is? Come see me later. 
my, my granddaughter looks just like Peter Dinklage. <laughs> it is the funniest thing. I got a picture they, that my kids dressed her up, and she looks just like Peter Dinklage. So every time I read this story, I think about Macy. Oh, he's a wee little man. Yeah, I can't help it. <laughs> just, just Zacchaeus was a wee little man with a great big status. You know, Matthew was a tax collector. Zacchaeus was so good at it that the Romans looked at him and said, you need to train everybody else because now you're going to be the chief tax collector. If Matthew could swindle you out of $4, Zacchaeus could swindle, swindle you out of $400. It, 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 that, 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 the chief tax collector is the guy in charge of everybody, and so he's not gotten there by chance. He's gotten there by, because of what his, he's honed this skill of, of robbing people and cheating people. And, 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 and Can you imagine how lonely that would be? The Romans don't like you. The Jews don't like you. Nobody wants to hang out with you. The only people that hang out with you are, are the drunks, the prostitutes, you know, and, and they become your friends. That's not a bad thing. I'm not saying that is a, is a bad thing. But can you imagine how lonely that would be? And I think he heard about Jesus. And I think he heard about all the, the stories that Jesus was changing. And I think he heard Jesus was coming to town. And I, and, and I think, just like that lady thought, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. I think Zacchaeus thought, if I could just see him, my life might change. And because he was so short and because he was so small, there was no way he could see over the crowd of people that would be around Jesus. And so he said, I'll do the next best thing. I don't even have to get near him. I just need to climb a tree and see him. I'm telling you, there are people all around you today that are saying, if I could just see Jesus, if I could just see his goodness and his grace and his mercy, my life would change. Zacchaeus climbed up in that little tree, and little did he know, Jesus walking by, he stopped and he looked and said, Peter Dinklage, get up. No, Zacchaeus, get out of that tree. Because i got to go have dinner with you today. I, I tell you all the time, invite somebody to church, but invite them to lunch. It's not enough to have them here. You can't hear their story here. You need to be around a table enjoying some food because that will make them relax and they'll know you love them and they'll know you care for them and they'll start sharing their story. Zacchaeus was changed because Jesus said, I want to have lunch with you. Watch what happens. Zacchaeus in, in Luke chapter 9, verse 7 8, all the people saw and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, here and now I give half of all my possessions to the poor. What would it take for you to give half of everything you own away right now? Zacchaeus said, Because I've seen Jesus, I can have a better story. And because I can have a better story, I'm going to make their story better. You see, when Jesus touches your life, you can't help but share that with everybody else. But he doesn't stop there. He says, if I have robbed anybody, I will repay that fourfold. Now I'm thinking, yeah, you had, what do you mean if you robbed anybody? You robbed everybody. Where are you going to come up with that kind of cash legally? But that's the impact that Jesus has in his life. You see, when Jesus grabs your story and you allow him to change it, you can't help but share it with other people around you. And help change their story. You know, Jesus is constantly inviting us to change our story. And I don't have time to cover all this, but in Acts, 
uh, chapter 3, I think it is, yeah, um, Peter and John are heading to the temple, and a beggar uh, who's carried in there by some friends every day and set at the, 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 the temple gate. He, you know, back then, back then beggars were different than beggars today. Beggars today will come up and stare at you in your car window. <laughs> Try to guilt you into giving them money. Back then, beggars would sit and they wouldn't look at you because they were ashamed of their position. Nobody wanted to hear their story. And so they would look at the ground and as people would walk by, they would see their feet and they would say, you know, do you have any money? Alms for the poor. And in this passage, Peter and John, they look at this man and they say, hey, stop, look at us. There's something very significant about when we take the time to have somebody who is downcast and trodden, have them look at us. Not that we're anything great, but looking at them and saying, hey, I, I care about your story. Go, go out today at some of the true homeless people and sit down and have a conversation with them. You'll learn a lot about their story. And they look at him and say, we don't have any money, but what we do, we will freely give to you. Arise and walk, and they reach down and grab him, and he stands up. You know what he does? Same thing y'all were doing earlier. Y'all were jumping around with April like some banshees, <laughs> crazy people praising Jesus. That's what he does. He goes into the temple jumping and leaping and praising. Why? Because somebody cared enough to change his story. Let me just tell you, when you're a part of somebody's change in their life, there's no greater feeling than that. You want to know why? Because God's changing your story. Sometimes the change is taking place and you have no idea. Remember we talked about Nicodemus earlier? Well, in Nicodemus chapter 7, or in Nicodemus, in John chapter 7, verse 50 and 51, uh, the Pharisees are picking on, Nick, uh, on Jesus and they're, they're doing all these other things. And Nicodemus stands up and he says these words. It's my paraphrase. Hey, don't we have laws? And doesn't somebody deserve to be on trial before we come to a conclusion and, and, and find them guilty? Then why are we doing this to Jesus? And you just got to wonder if he's starting to see the light. He's coming out of the darkness into the light. You have no idea the impact you're having on people around you unless they tell you. So let me ask you a question. As I've been going through all these stories today, what images have God brought to your mind? Better yet, whose image has God brought to your mind? So I, I almost guarantee you that you didn't sit here today and God didn't bring one person to your mind that you need to invest in their story. He just doesn't work that way. He wants us to follow him, and he will put us in positions to show up, to step out, and to take the path that he has us on. Father, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you that you love us enough to change our story, that you love us enough to not leave us where we were, uh, that you love us enough to, to take us to a new place on this journey. You love us enough to change our story. So, Father, this morning, will you show us how you've changed our story, where our story near, still needs to be changed, and who we need to help in the process. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.